God's good. God's good. Um, yeah, this, this week is, is week number two of our series that we started last week, um, titled The Invitation. And as you heard, you all got an invitation to Jericho this morning. It's been good to see that a lot of people have already got on and registered for themselves, for their families, and even some people have registered for friends. Like Gary said, the, the cost being a little bit less, uh, wanting to invite others to come and participate. And uh, as we were planning and thinking about it, you know, coming into worship this morning and we sang these songs, uh, uh, Waymaker, Reckless Love, um, and these songs just made me remember uh, why it is that we do Jericho, is that we expect miracles. We expect God to move. And sometimes we get so busy doing church or having events or, or getting into this uh, groove that we find ourselves in that we forget that we serve the almighty, all-powerful, all-loving, all-pursuing God that can change our situations and circumstances in a moment. I think about how many times myself and others have gone to something like Jericho one way and then left differently, been delivered from all different types of things. Those things can happen in a service like we're at this morning. They can happen at home, uh, but they can also often happen when we set aside time and we plan to be in a particular place. This series we're in about the invitation is about having an invitation and whether or not we are going to accept it, whether or not we're going to RSVP. You know, when you look through the scriptures, the, the one that came to mind during worship this morning is there was a there was a pool that would the waters would begin to stir. And it says that whoever was there and ready and jumped in first, they would be healed of whatever it was that was afflicting them. And that somebody was there all the time and could never get in. And then Jesus showed up and said, hey, even though you weren't the first one to get in, I see that you want to be healed, that you want to be in this place. You want to get in. And Jesus showed up for that person and began to do something. There's something about places. There's something about times. There's something about where God is stirring a particular uh, uh, body of water, let's say. And we need to be able to recognize that and be a part of it. And Jericho just so happens to be one of those places for us where we know he's going to be there. We know the waters are going to be stirring and we know that there's going to be an opportunity for healing. So just want to encourage you guys to to be a part of it. Find a way to to overcome whatever the distractions are right now and whatever reasons we have not to gather. I even felt the Lord saying that that many of us that haven't made it back to church yet. It's, it's good to see more people showing up and more people encouraged and saying, look, if I'm going to the store, if I'm going shopping, if I can't wait to put my kids back in school and get them out of my house, I can go to church. I can wear a mask. I can be around the people of God. I'm, I'm actually hoping that maybe Jericho will be a time where we get to see more of our friends and more of our family and, uh, and enjoy each other. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So I want to start off with Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. It says, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens since she cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. The scripture says that the wisdom of God is inviting us, men and women of God, to be simple and to enjoy what's been provided for us. Think about that. It says wisdom is, is literally, the wisdom of God is, is shouting from the mountaintops, turn in here. If you're simple, come here, find rest. Enjoy what I've prepared for you. You don't even have to prepare it for yourself. Get understanding. Turn away from ignorance and foolishness. Come to me. It's an invitation from wisdom, the wisdom of God, crying out to us. This invitation is a standing invitation. You guys know what a standing invitation is? It's an invitation that just, it's, you're continuously invited. There's invitations that it's a one-off. Hey, you're invited. If you come, great. If you don't come, don't try to come next week. <laughs> With God, oftentimes invitations are standing invitations where he says, you've been invited. <clears throat> you are continuously invited. I hope that you come back next time. And then the time after that, there's always going to be a place for you. Wisdom, the wisdom of God cries out and says, you are continuously invited to enter into this place with me. Last week, 
We saw that invitations are one of the primary ways that God enters into relationship with people and one of the primary ways that God deepens his relationships with people. You heard Gary begin to talk about it with Jericho. How do we know that maybe this might be something where God will enter into a relationship with somebody, but how? By you actually inviting them through invitation. How do we know whether or not this will be one of those times where you get to deepen your relationship with God? How? Through invitation, you've been invited and you have an opportunity to either go or to not go, to set aside time or to not set aside time, to register or to not register, to be prepared and read up and prayed up, or not to be prepared, read up and prayed up. We saw that it's through invitation that God often does these things. Last week, we also talked about the uniqueness of divine invitations, invitations that aren't just to go and hang out, aren't just to spend time with somebody, aren't just an opportunity to go to an event, but a divine uh, uh, invitation is an opportunity to do something with God, be in the presence of God, encounter God. We sing transfiguration. uh, uh, The words of the song say, now I know I've seen the glory that cannot be unseen. Jesus invites Peter, James, and John. He says, let's go up this mountain. They accept the invitation. They walk up the mountain, and then Jesus is transfigured before them. He begins to glow and shine. All of his clothes get super, super tied white. No tied? <laughs> RJ. He, RJ wants to be a pastor one day, so he knows that he has to laugh at every joke a pastor says <clears throat> if he wants that later on in his life. But they get to see this glory of Jesus. (laughs) And the song says, now I know I've seen the glory that cannot be unseen. How? Through an invitation and accepting that invitation. That's a divine invitation to see the things of God. They come from God. They come from men and women of God. Another thing we talked about last week is purity and purpose. Right? How do these invitations come? With God, there's purity. It's about you. The purpose is you, your blessing, your encouragement, your strengthening. When we, when we talk about an event like this and what we want to do and how we've done Jericho for 10 years, it takes so much effort. It takes so much work. We're talking about kids and how do we feed everybody and how do we bless everybody and how do we get these pastors to come in, especially in a time like this, and to minister to you. Is that for us? As the church, is that for us as the leaders? It costs so much to do it. No, there's purity in the invitation. We want to see people delivered. We've seen people who are addicted to pornography leave. They're not addicted to pornography. People who are sleeping with people they weren't married stop sleeping with people they're not married to and they get married. We've seen people be delivered from smoking for 40 years of cigarettes. We've seen all kinds of things happen and it's a, it's a pure invitation. We want to continue to see God do these things in people's lives. Divine invitations, purity, purpose. We saw that last week as we looked at God inviting Abraham to have his life changed and his future changed and his generations changed. We saw it as Jesus uh, invited men uh, to be discipled, to walk with him and to follow him, to have a new life and a new destiny. It wasn't about him. He didn't need anything. It was about those he was inviting, that they would be able to be blessed. And then finally last week, the last part we saw, which was kind of sad, but we saw the divine decline. We saw... In closing, Jesus invited a man uh, to have eternal life and to be saved, but he told him uh, that it would cost him some things that he had grown to love, and uh, that individual declined the invitation uh, because of the things that he cherished more than Christ, the things that he cherished more than eternal life, things that he wanted more than eternal life. So that's what we're going to pick up this morning. I want to look further at what we learn from invitations that are accepted and what we learn from invitations that are declined. The title of the message this week is Accepting and Declining. Accepting and Declining. I remember uh, when I was uh, a young whippersnapper, there was this cute little Egyptian girl, and I used to write her notes. You could call them invitations. And I would send them across through a friend of mine. We were in sixth grade. and. I'd send them across the classroom and it would say, hey, you little Egyptian princess. This is an African prince from across class. And I just want to know if you want to be my girlfriend, circle yes or circle no. So that was the invitation, yes or no. And then, you know, you fast forward, you look at how invitations come now. I don't know when the last time you got an invitation to a wedding but they ask you to RSVP and then they actually script the replies for you. 
it says basically circle yes we can't wait to celebrate with you or circle no we're so sorry that we're not going to be able to be there right so you can script it and you can either say yes or no like i did with mary or you can make it really nice for accepting or, or declining but at the end of the day you're getting an invitation and you always have two options you're either going to accept or you're going to decline it doesn't matter how you phrase it it doesn't matter why you accept or why you decline at the end of the day you're accepting or you're declining and for those who are wondering she circled yes sent it back and the rest is history <laughs> we're gonna start off in Matthew chapter 22 verse 1 Matthew 22 verse 1 it says Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited. Say invitation. invitation. Say invitation. invitation. I can see through your mask. Say invitation. invitation. <laughs> he sent out his servant to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited see i have prepared my dinner my oxen fatted cattle are killed all things are ready come to the wedding but they made light of it and went their ways one to his own farm another to his business and the rest seized his servants treated them spitefully and killed them but when the king heard about it he was furious he sent out his armies destroyed those murderers burned up their city then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways, gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Stop there. Amen. Verse 14. I think many of us are, are familiar a little bit with the story. We're definitely familiar with that last portion where it says many are called, but few are chosen. I wanted to start here this morning so we could see and remember the gravity of the Lord's invitations. It's not a small thing. I think in our regular lives, we get all types of invitations like we talked about last week, and a lot of them are, are maybe not so important, not a big deal, whether you accept or decline. Um, some of them are big deals, and we have to, to take the time to really make sure that we respond and respond well, or at least we try to. But when it comes to God and divine invitations and the things of God, there is an enormous importance with every invitation. The gravity of being invited by God to be a part of something that God is doing or something that God wants to do in your life is huge. They come with choices, but the choices we make come with consequences. God makes invitations, he gives us a choice, but don't mistake for one second that just because you have a choice that it doesn't matter what you choose. There's consequences for accepting and there's consequences for declining. Good consequences and bad consequences. This passage starts off with Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited. Again, Jesus is talking about uh, the kingdom. Uh, man, I like you, Gary. Gary gives us this story from Acts, and what does he say to us? He says, if you look at everything they're talking about, it's all about the kingdom. It's all about heaven. They're talking about uh, how to be closer to God, how to get rid of the things that are earthly and not that important and focus on the things that are eternal. The kingdom, the kingdom. And then what does Jesus say? He says, the kingdom is like a wedding invitation. Many have been invi invited. De then Jesus says, there are two categories of people those who accept the invitation and those who decline it. Again, he narrows it down. When I read through that, there were some reasons, right? Some people had to go farm, they had to go labor, some people had a business. You read through the scriptures, there's a lot of examples like this where people had good things that they needed to do. Hey, I've got to bury my father. I've got to take care of my parents. But Jesus says, you know what? At the end of the day, either you accept or you decline. 
good reasons, bad reasons, whatever you think. It doesn't matter. Jesus narrows it down into two categories, acceptors and decliners. Then he goes on to say that one person declining in some way has opened up an opportunity for someone else that initially was not invited has been given a chance to come. I think this is a, a, an important part of invitations. How you get invited, like your perspective on your invitation is important. Jesus says that there's a bunch of people who were invited and because many of them decline, he goes to another group of people and invites them. Imagine how people might respond to invitations from the Lord if they realize how lucky they are to be invited to begin with. Sometimes we feel like we deserve to be invited everywhere. Like we should be the life of the party. People should be so happy to have us wherever it is that they're going to be. And I think we bring that attitude into our relationship with God. Like, of course he invited me. Don't you know who I am? Imagine the kingdom without me. That's not the case, church. If you read through the scriptures, I, I, I hate to, to make any of us feel bad, but if you read through the scriptures, we are all highways and byways people. There's no people that were originally uh, invited in this room right now or watching. <laughs> there was another group of people who were chosen and invited, and because many of them chose to decline, God said, go get all those roughnecks and hooligans and left out <laughs> leftover ones and invite them. Maybe if we saw ourselves as lucky to be invited, we might be more inclined to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to be there. Thank you for whoever declined. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And then finally, Jesus says to those who decline the invitation, he says, you're going to suffer consequences. Judgment, condemnation, burning, weeping, gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> and those who accept will dine in the kingdom with the king as part of the family of God. I think sometimes we have a hard time dealing with this, but it's just the story of God. It's the story of how invitations work. There's a consequence. You don't get to say no to, to the king inviting you into the kingdom and into the wedding feast of the son without there being consequences. He tells you up front, if you say no, the consequence is hell, weeping, gnashing of teeth. You're going to suffer. And somebody else is going to be dining at the table in your place. Last thing I want us to consider, and we'll get back to it hopefully later on, um, is even those who accepted and attended were not automatically welcomed. There's the acceptors, there's the decliners. Then when it comes to the acceptors, we read that uh, the Lord comes in and he sees everybody that's now highways and byways in there. And he says, hey, you, what are you wearing? There seems to be something about the garments that we're wearing when we do accept and come into this wedding, come into this feast that seems to be important. So important that the king himself will call you out in the middle of the ceremony if you're not wearing what you're supposed to be wearing. We'll see what that's about a little bit later. So let's talk for a second about what's actually happening when we receive an invitation. Whether we know it or not, all of us are like supercomputers and we're constantly evaluating and processing a ton of information all day long, every day. Uh, this is what's going on in our brains. When you drive, for instance, you don't think about it uh, consciously, but you're looking at the lights. You're thinking about how much gas you have. You're talking to the people who are next to you. You're thinking about where you just came from, where you're going, who you have to pick up, who you have to drop off. None of us is con uh, consciously thinking through all those decisions, but believe me, your brain is doing that all the time. Every single light, every single turn. It's like, it's like uh, many of us use Waze or uh, what's, what's the other one? IMAPS, it used to be called MapQuest. And before that, it was the Thomas Guide. But Waze, if you make a turn, what does it do? It reevaluates every decision that you have to make now based on the one turn that you made. Your brain does that all the time. <clears throat> think about something like eating. Most of us don't have to, to think very much. There's the food, get it into my mouth as quickly as possible. But actually what's going on in your brain is you're using all kinds of muscles, small, fine motor control muscles to get your fork down there, to pick it up, to think about how full you are, to think about, are you going to save some of this? Are you going to take some of this home? Uh, 
All these thoughts, all these decisions, you're processing all this information, whether you know it or not, it's happening. Um, your brain has been trained that way with so many different things. So how does that work when it comes to invitations? We think that we make a quick decision to say yes or a quick decision to say no. But actually, even in the decisions where maybe we feel like we've taken a good amount of time to evaluate and make a decision, what's happening, whether you do it in a second, two seconds, or, or it takes a day, your brain is processing uh, immense amounts of information to make the decision that you want to make. There's no such thing as just a quick decision. Your brain is actually evaluating all types of things. When it comes to those decisions, there are secondary factors that affect our decision, like what kind of mood are you in? How do you feel that day? Are you tired? Are you angry? Are you hungry? Those, those are secondary factors. Your brain's still processing everything, but you know how it is when you're tired, it, it just feels like maybe you're uh, a little bit quicker to say no to things, or you're a little bit more snappy with people when you're talking to them. When you're hungry, that same type of thing, right? But that's secondary. Your brain's still processing a bunch of information. And then there's primary factors that we evaluate every single time when we receive an invitation. What are those primary factors that we consider? What are the cost and what is the income? Say cost. cost. Say income. income. All right. That's what your brain is, is, is processing. That's what you're thinking, whether you're actively thinking about it or not. What is the cost and what is the income? In moments, often when... Uh, we're conscious of doing it. We accept a particular invitation. Uh, we ask ourselves, what is this going to cost us? How much money am I going to have to spend? How much time am I going to have to set aside? Who is going to be there? And how much potential for irritation are they capable of causing me? How long did it take me to recover from the last time I did something like this? What did it cost me emotionally the last time I spent time with this group of people? And what will it cost me or what will I have to not do in order to do this? Those are cost questions. You might not think that you're thinking about that all the time, but your brain is going through that whole process every time you, send, you get an invitation. What's it gonna cost me? What it cost me last time? How long does it take to recover? How long afterwards was I still thinking about what she said? How long afterwards was I still mad that I didn't say this? How many times do we have to go and I think that we're going to split the bill and they're looking at me like, hey, bro, you invited us. You might not think so, but your brain remembers so many things and it's processing the cost every time you get an invitation. Just like when you're driving, you might not think you're thinking through all that, but you are. Last week, we saw the man that came to Jesus looking for eternal life. He was loving the conversation. Go back and read that story, right? He finds him, good teacher, good teacher. Jesus stops with his disciple. He says, hey, what's going on? He says, hey, uh, I want to know how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, hey, you just got to keep the commandments, be moral, do this, that, and the other. He's excited. You know what? I've been doing that, but something's still missing. And then Jesus gets to that point where he says, well, here's the cost. Just sell everything you got, leave it behind, follow me, and you're going to see amazing things. And his brain in seconds went through that whole thing. What's it gonna cost me? What did it feel like last time I didn't have resources? What did it feel like last time I was broke? How long did it take me to get all the things that I have? Why should I lay them down now? He went through a whole lot of things in seconds and you know what he decided? Cost too much. Jesus, I'm out. Sometimes a high cost can be outweighed by a high income. A high cost can be outweighed by a high income. Some people will go to school, get all the way through high school, then they'll go to college, then they'll spend like another eight years going to medical school. Why? Because the cost associated with that is outweighed by the income that's going to follow. They're gonna have a great salary. Maybe, they're gonna, uh, maybe they have that heart where they just wanna help people, they wanna heal people, they wanna see people not die of things uh, because of their skills and their abilities. But it's still a huge cost, but the income outweighs the cost. Some people right now will work 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, a huge cost. Why? Because the income associated with overtime outweighs the cost of those hours and the fatigue and the time away from friends and the time away from family for them. So here's the main question that I want to um, answer and I want us to focus on this morning is what is the key 
to invitation acceptance and invitation declining. What's the key to invitation acceptance and invitation declining? If we know that our brains are thinking about this cost, we know that our brains are thinking about this income, we know ourselves, the, the, the Bible says that, that, uh, that even our, our tongues are desperately wicked, our minds are desperately wicked. It's like, we know ourselves. So if we know that this is how we're evaluating whether or not we should accept an invitation from the Lord or decline an invitation to the, from the Lord, man, there's gotta be some keys that can help us. There's gotta be something that we can do. Is the answer, is the key getting better at evaluating cost and income? Should we be preaching? Should we be talking about, hey, you know what? Let's just be really good at looking at the cost. Let's be really good and effective at looking at what the income is from a particular decision to accept or decline of an invitation. In Luke chapter 14, verse 28, this is what Jesus says. Which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Right? Maybe that's the key. Maybe the key is, look, if we just sit down long enough and, and we get the right people around us and we've got a nice team and we can evaluate what is this going to cost? What is the income going to be? Do we have enough? Jesus said, if you're going to be wise, you got to sit down, you got to count the cost. That's how we should make our decisions on accepting an invitation from the Lord or declining an invitation from the Lord. Maybe. In 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, in 2 Corinthians, Chapter 5, verse 7, the Lord says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Maybe that's the key. Instead of just evaluating how much is this going to cost and doing a really good job to make sure that you have enough, maybe the Lord is saying, hey, evaluate the cost, but even if you don't have enough sometimes, just have faith. Step out there. Accept the invitation. Let's hope that it's going to work out good. Walk by faith. Don't walk by sight. Maybe that's the key to whether or not we make good decisions on accepting or declining invitations from the Lord? I don't think so. I don't think there's a lot of help there. I don't think there's a lot of hope there for making good decisions on accepting or declining invitations from the Lord. I think what we have to do is shift the focus from ourselves as the invitee, where we're focused on what is this going to cost me or what am I going to receive? What's the income going to be? Let's get the focus off of ourselves and let's put the focus on the one doing the inviting. We know that we're asking ourselves, what does it cost? What am I going to gain? But what should we be asking the one that's doing the inviting? If we shift the focus off of me, off of yourself, and we put the focus on the one who's actually inviting us, whether it's in the world or definitely when it comes to the things of God, God himself, what should we ask the Lord? We need to know and focus on the motives and the means of our inviters. If you're taking notes, write motives and means. What you need to know about God is his motives and you need to know his means. What you need to know about anybody else who's inviting you to be a part of something or to do something or to go somewhere, think about their motives and think about the means. All right. I'm going to read Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Luke chapter 14, 15 says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with the Lord heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go to see it. And I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes, highways and byways of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So, 
It's pretty easy to see what those who were invited initially were focused on, the cost and the income. One says, I started a business, I, 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 excuse me, I, I bought a piece of land and I've got to go see about it. It took me a long time, I invested, I made good decisions, I was solid. I bought this land and I've got to go, I've got to go see about it. So they declined this invitation from the master. Another one says, hey, I've got uh, these oxen that I bought. I've got to go tend to them. It's my responsibility, Lord, to take care of this wife. It's my responsibility to take care of these kids. How many of us, I don't want to get too far into this, but how many of us, we take certain things like this person saying, these oxen will not survive without me. I'm their owner. I have a responsibility. I can't tell you how many parents I know who will use their kids as an excuse to decline invitations from God. God, take care of these kids. They deserve better. They deserve more. The last guy says, hey, I've got a wife. I can't make it to whatever it is that you're inviting me to. Same thing. God has this hierarchy of priorities. God first, then your spouse, then your kids, and then everything else. And we so easily shift that. When we do that, we end up making these decisions. We in, um, improperly calculate the cost. All of them said it costs too much. I've got something more important. I can't go. The income is not uh, high enough. I get more in return from my wife. I get more in return from these cattle. I get more in return from the land that I bought than I get from this invitation that you're making me. In this story, just like the story of the wedding invitation, it's a little bit harder to see, but I think if we focus, we can see the motives and the means of the inviter uh, if we're looking for them. So what are motives about? The motives are about what is it the inviter wants to accomplish? That's the motive. What motivates them? What do they want to accomplish? What do they want to gain? What is their income going to be at the end of this situation? What do they want to have? What do they want to experience when this thing is over? What about means? Means is about the how the inviter accomplishes their goals, right? So look at the inviter. What are they motivated by? What do they want to see? What do they want to have? What do they want to accomplish? And then let's look at the means. How are they going to do it? There are those who believe that the ends justify the means. You know what that means? Whatever it is that you're motivated by, you need to do whatever it takes to get it. The means, right, or the ends justify the means. Whatever you want to have, whatever you want to see, it doesn't matter what it takes to get there, just do it. Means are important. How many of you think something like ending world hunger, ending uh, communities have, that have a lack of resources, like there's no water, there's no clean water, there's no food, there's no shelter. Uh, how many of you feel like that would be a good motive or a motivator for somebody to take action? Hey, I wanna, I wanna see those who are hungry have food. I wanna see those that don't have water get water. I, I wanna, I'm motivated by that. I wanna take action. How many of you guys think that that's a good, good motivator? That's something to be excited about. That's something that we should do, right? Amen. So in the Marvel movies, the Avengers, the bad guy's name is Thanos. And uh, he wanted to end world hunger. Great movies, by the way. He wanted to end world hunger. He wanted to end this lack of resources in the world. He wanted to end the wars that get started by these things. And his means for accomplishing that was to kill half of the people that existed. Do the means, uh, do the ends justify the means, right? It's great to want to end world hunger. It's great to want to make sure that everybody has resources. But that's his, that's his motivation, that's his motive. But his means, his method is, let's just kill half of the people and then there'll be enough food. There'll be enough resources. There are a lot of people out there who have good motives. But man, if you just take a few seconds to look at the means, how they want to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish, you'll see the problem. Let's look at God when it comes to his means. Let's look at God when it comes to his motives quickly. What are the means and motives that God uses to accomplish what he desires? Let's remember, in a, in a story like Marvel's uh, Avengers, Thanos is a fictional character, and 
he somehow acquires this ability to snap his fingers and, and uh, kill half of the people that, that live and exist. But let's not forget that we serve the Almighty God and this is a real power that he has. He's the only one that has power to bring life into the world or to take life out of this world. And let's see what he does with it. Jeremiah 29, 11, familiar portion of scripture. God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will ask, or excuse me, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You could go through the scriptures, you could go through the Bible, and time and time again, you're going to see that this is the character of God, that his motives are your future, your blessings, your hope. That's what motivates him. These scriptures about these, these wedding feasts, and these ceremonies, they're about blessing the people who are invited when it comes to God. That's what motivates him. We, I think sometimes we forget that he has everything. Like I said earlier, um, you don't make or break the event. I don't make or break the event. He was fine before us. He's whole. He's the only one that's whole, the only one that's complete. So when he invites us somewhere, his motive is to bless you. I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. How many of us, if we're honest about it, other than God, uh, have people in our life with those kind of motives? That they really just love you. They really just care about you. Their desire is to make you as happy as possible. Their desire is to sacrifice whatever it is that they want so that you could have some of the things that you want or desire or need. It's so rare. On my best day, in my best week, I'm batting like maybe 10% doing that for my wife. I love her more than anybody on the planet and still my motives are questionable because I'm evaluating by what it's gonna cost me. Yesterday uh, or two days ago, we, we left the kids with, with my in-laws and uh, took her out. We went to get food, do a couple of different things. And then yesterday we had to pick up the kids and I start evaluating what it's going to cost me to have to get up and drive down to pick up the kids. And so I start suggesting, you know, maybe it's something that you want to just do. <laughs> maybe I could go to Costco and look at barbecue grills while you go pick up the kids and feed them and then we'll meet back at the house. It's like, I love her, but my motives, what's easier for me? What's more fun for me? How much is it going to cost me? What's the income going to be? If you think about your relationship with God, it's never like that. It's never like that. He's constantly saying, how can I make your life better? It may not feel that way, but believe me, when you read through the scriptures, when you, read, when you hear people's testimonies, no matter what it feels like in the moment, at the end, when you can see more clearly what God was doing, you're like, dang, it was all about me. wants to give us a future and a hope what about his means how does God do that in our lives we already talked about and we learned that he will not force us to believe he will not force us to seek he will not force us to accept his invitations and we said last week that many of us wish that he would look once we know that your motives are pure we almost want to give you the green light to use whatever means necessary just make it happen God but he doesn't do that what are his means? How does he get that love into our lives? How does he bring that hope and that future into our lives? Obviously, like we said, through invitation, he's going to invite us to have those things. But I'm going to give you three C's and we're going to close. Three C's for God's means. Consistency, compassion, and then contradiction. Consistency, compassion, and contradiction. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. If there's one thing I love about God, is it's his consistency. He does not change. He does not have bad days. He does not have certain weeks in the month where you expect him to just act crazy. He does not hold things over our head or against us like we do to one another. He's so consistent. 
I told you that this week, the, the day the kids were gone, I was with Mary and she was so happy, so loving. We went, I tried to take her shopping, she didn't want nothing, we just ate food. I woke up in the morning, she was a different person. I was like, who are you? What happened to the woman I was with yesterday? But God is so consistent. He says, I'm the Lord, I do not change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I still love you as much today as I did yesterday. I don't care what you did or what you said or how you acted. I'll still leave the 99 and come chasing out. He's just so consistent. His means are consistency. You can depend on him. You can count on him to be a certain way. I think that's important. Compassion. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. It says, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. Other place in the gospel, it says he's moved with compassion and he fed everyone. One of the means that, that, that the Lord uses to accomplish his motives of blessing us is compassion. He's always moved with compassion. He errs on the side of compassion. He has somewhere to go, somewhere to be, something to do. It's of eternal importance. And you know what he does? He'll always stop in his tracks and just show compassion. I hate stopping in my tracks. I hate detours. I hate unplanned events. Anybody who knows me, it's like, I may want to do it, but if we didn't plan it, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Jesus is not like that. He's so compassionate. He'll change all of his plans for you. Amen. How many of you have people in your life that will change all their plans for you? Change what they wanted to do with their resources for you. Change how they plan their vacation for you. He's so compassionate that it's one of the means of getting love and getting hope into our lives, getting us to accept it. He uses compassion instead of force. And then the last one, consistency, compassion, and then contradiction. And to me, this is probably the, the most important one. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 11. It says, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. I think this is my favorite scripture in all the Bible. Because right up to the end, it's what you expect. Uh, the consistency. Look, if you endure, you're going to make it to the end. You're going to be saved. You're going to reign with him. If you die with him, we read the scriptures, right? You die with Christ and then you're raised in newness of life. We get that. Then he says, if you deny him, he'll also deny us. We see that in the scripture. He says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. But then there's this contradiction, this last part that you expect to be different. Well, look, if you're going to be unfaithful to me, I'm going to be unfaithful to you. How many of us have been there? Do not raise your hands. I want you to make it home. Where you've said to someone, well, look, if you're going to be unfaithful, I'm going to be unfaithful. If you're going to be a hater, I'm going to be a hater. If you're going to take from me, I'm going to take from you. If you're going to be selfish, I'm going to be selfish. And Jesus says, if you're going to be unfaithful, I'm still going to be faithful because I can't deny myself. I am faith. I don't know any other way to be but faithful. It's such a contradiction from what we're used to. We expect people to treat us the way that we treat them. We expect people to be unfaithful to us when we've been unfaithful to them. Jesus says, no, I contradict that. I can't be unfaithful. You can, you can uh, deny God. I can't deny God. You can turn away from me, but I'll always be right here when you turn back. He's so faithful. And that's, how he, that's his means for getting his love and getting that hope and getting that future into our lives in a way that we're willing to accept it. So we've got to shift our focus from ourselves as the invitee and put it on God as the inviter. We have to study his motives and his means. As I was preparing this, I thought to myself, what, what is the challenge? If, if, it's, if for me the key is understanding his motives and his means and not focusing on the cost or the income for me, why is that so challenging for me and why is that so challenging for what I believe some of you? I think it's because we don't study his means and we don't study his motives. We don't know how he operates, so it's hard for us to recognize that that's what he's doing. Many of us, when, when, when we heard uh, Gary say, register for Jericho, 
right? And we heard him say $25. What we heard is that's what it's going to cost me, right? We didn't hear, oh, you know what? That's God's means and motives for getting something into my life that otherwise I can't have unless I accept this invitation. We've got to shift it and see, well, how does God invite us? Is there typically a cost associated? You had to get up this morning. You had to get down to the church. You had to log on. Everything costs you something. Study his means. Study his motives. And we'll be more, it'll be easier for us to recognize when he's trying to get hope and love into our lives. So I want to close by tying up that earlier loose end of accepted invitations, but being called out once we arrive for wearing the wrong garments. I think many of us can get to a place where we're like, okay, God, I see your means. I see your methods. I see your motives. I'm going to accept. I recognize the cost and everything, but I'm with you. You are pure. You are holy. You're trying to bless me. You're trying to get, you're showing compassion. We can get through all that and then find ourselves at the place we're supposed to be. You're in the building this morning. You set aside time to pay attention and to watch maybe this morning. So what happened to that one guy that came, but he had the wrong garments on? Our first thought might be to consider what are the garments and how much do they cost? What should I be wearing when I come into the king's house? Where do I have to go get that stuff from? How much does it cost? But if you think about it, all these people who have been invited, there's always a broad range of resources. There's going to be some rich people that can go buy whatever they want to wear. There's going to be some poor people that they're wearing hand-me-downs. And then the, the pants become shorts because you got to cut them for the summer. That's the range of people. So we think to ourselves, is that how God is? Depending on your resources is whether or not you're going to be welcomed. Is that his motive? Is that his method? Are those the means that he uses? Let's focus on what we know about him. That doesn't seem to be the type uh, of God that we serve and how he would base acceptance. This is Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. Isaiah 61, 10, he says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, just as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. What Isaiah tells us is that the Lord provides the appropriate garments. So how does that apply back to this one individual? It says that many were invited, they declined, they didn't accept the invitation. A whole new group of highways and byways and hedge folk get invited. These people accept, it says that the house is full, but the Lord comes in and he sees one and he says, how did you get in here, friend? You don't have your wedding garments on. And it's not because he couldn't afford the wedding garments. It's not because other people had better resources and somebody helped them plan and prepare better. It says through Isaiah that the Lord provides the garments, he just chose not to wear them. Accepting an invitation, but not meeting the terms associated with that invitation can be just as detrimental as declining the invitation. He clothes those he invites with garments of salvation and he covers them with robes of righteousness. That's how we're supposed to be in this one when Jesus says that the kingdom is like this wedding. He says, you've been invited, accept the invitation, but in order to be clothed, I'll provide it for you. It's a garment of salvation and it's a robe of righteousness. We have to be saved by the crucified Christ. We have to be covered in the blood of Jesus. It's a robe of righteousness that he's willing to put on us. We have to recognize that, understand that, see what it is that he's trying to accomplish. It has nothing to do with your abilities, has nothing to do with your means, has nothing to do with your resources. God says, if you accept the invitation, I'll give you everything that you need to be in this place. It just made me think uh, how sad it would be for many of us. And, and uh, we know that this is a reality to spend a whole lot of time in the church accepting the invitation and then standing before the Lord and him saying, how did you get in here? You're not even covered in righteousness. You haven't been washed by the blood of Jesus. You've been going to this church. You've been going to these events. You've been going to these Bible studies. You've been walking around the city, but you've never been washed by the blood of Jesus. 
You've never been clothed in righteousness. How did Jesus say it when they came to him at the gates? Flee from me, I never knew you. Man, we cast out demons in your name. We preached, we saw people get saved, we saw people get healed. I was actually serving at the Jerichos. I was serving in the church. What are you talking about? He says, what are you wearing? You look like you accepted the invitation and you showed up, but you didn't wear the garments that I provided for you. You still look the same. Clothed in unrighteousness, clothed in sin, not forgiven. We'll talk more as we go on about uh, what we need to do about that. How we change that in our own life, how we help others to see that more clearly, how to accept the invitation and to be welcomed in um, as we move forward. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Why don't you guys stand with me? Motives and means. Compassion, consistency, and contradiction. How do we accept? How do we decline? What are the consequences for accepting that come along with accepting? And what are the consequences that come along with declining. We serve a God that uh, consistently makes invitations to us. On a daily basis, he's inviting us into a deeper relationship with him. He's inviting us to be further changed and further transformed. And the more we spend time with him and the more that we get to know him, the easier it is for us to begin to recognize when he's up to something. I started off this morning talking about it during worship, how I felt the Lord just speaking a lot of things about Jericho, about accepting that invitation and uh, having the faith to believe in miracles and transformation and healing in a time in our world, in a season in our world where people are sad, people are depressed, people are sick, people are losing loved ones. Do we have what it takes to accept his invitation and to believe for miracles? During that time of worship, I found myself at the altar this morning and uh, I don't know what it's like for you, but, but when I recognize God's hand on something or God doing something, this, this smirk or this smile comes on my face, this little uh, laugh begins to, to stir up inside of me and I'm like, man, I see you, Lord. I see that you're up to something. I know your means, I know your methods. I know what motivates you. And I get this joy, I get this, this, this happiness. Just to know that he's alive, that he's well, that he's thinking about me and that he's trying to get something into my life. Sometimes like this morning, it's, it's things that I didn't even know I needed. As a pastor, I often think about the needs of others and what they're going through and where they are in their walk and how do they get to the next level or the next step or the next place with you, Lord. And then this morning, again, I just felt him nudging me saying, yeah, I want to talk to you. I want to be with you. I want to bring something into your life. You need some hope. You need a future. You need a touch from me. I want to invite you to go a little bit deeper with me. I want to invite you to dine with me and to talk with me to a wedding feast. I want to feel so good when you know you've been invited. Feel so good when you know how to accept and to enter into those places. So for those of you who are here this morning, invitation number one, don't be fooled. The scriptures tell us do not be deceived. Don't have your ears tickled. If you're not saved, that's the only invitation that the Lord is making to you. <laughs> He's not interested in all kinds of other things coming into your life and changing in your life and getting better in your life or getting removed from your life before He's interested in saving you. The wedding feast of the Lord, it says it's for His Son. You are the bride. He is the bridegroom. He's saying, I want you to be joined to my Son. I want him to clothe you in righteousness to take your unrighteousness. I want him to put a cloak or a garment of salvation on you when right now you have none. And that's the only invitation that matters. 
Don't think about what it's going to cost you. Don't think about other things that need to change. Don't think about friends, family, anything else. All that matters is your salvation. All that matters is recognizing that you're in the highways and the byways and the hedges somewhere. The song says, when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. That's the invitation. The world's used you up. You've used yourself up. You've given away anything and everything that was of value that was within you. But the Lord says he paid it all for you. He can restore it. You can be born again. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be changed and transformed. He says, just by accepting the invitation and allowing him to clothe you in righteousness. Not by getting better, not by giving more, not by changing a bunch of stuff, just accepting and being clothed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here in this building, if you're watching, whoever you are, if you feel in your heart you need to accept that invitation, you need to say, Lord, I just want to say yes. You may even be a little confused about the question, but you feel the Lord asking you and you just want to respond yes. You just want to accept that invitation. Would you raise your hand so I can see you? Lord, I say yes. Amen. I see you, brother. Anybody else this morning? The invitation has gone out. It continues to go out. Anybody else join our brother this morning and just say yes, Lord. I want to say yes. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the one, the very song that's playing right now. We see your motives. <laughs> we recognize your means. This song says that you leave the 99 for the one. No shadow you won't light up. No mountain you won't climb up. No wall that you won't kick down coming after me. We see you coming after your son here in this place this morning, Lord. We see you extending the invitation. We know for a fact this morning that it's a standing invitation. That you're always available to him. You've been desiring him, pursuing him, and giving him choice. Lord, we thank you for the choice he's made this morning. We thank you, Lord, and we ask that you would just clothe him in the garments of salvation. Cover him with the robe of righteousness. Wash him clean with your blood, Lord God. Forgive every sin. Cast out everything that's of the enemy, Lord. And fill that space, fill that heart, fill that mind with your love, with your spirit. Like you've done so many other times for so many others, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for his day. We thank you for his acceptance this morning. Thank you, Jesus. For the rest of us, we're going to open the altar here in a moment give you an opportunity to pray and be prayed for if you want that one thing if there's anything that god ministered to you obviously i just believe in taking a step moving forward acknowledging that you heard god that you saw the invitation you felt the invitation lord i'm going to go to the altar as a sign of me accepting what you've invited me into so you're welcome to do that for any reason but one thing that's on my heart to invite you for is to shift the focus onto the inviter and off of yourself as the invitee. I want to pray for those that want to stop spending so much time figuring out what it's going to cost you. Stop spending so much time trying to figure out what you're going to gain or what the income's going to be for you and start to focus more on the motives of God for inviting you in the first place. Start to focus more on the means of God. What is he going to use in order to bring this into your life if you accept? If that's you, I know that that's me. <laughs> I've got to stop focusing on what it costs me. Stop patting myself on the back for paying the cost. <laughs> and just focus on the one inviting me. What is it that you want to do, Lord? I remember, I'm going to, I'm going to close with this and invite you to the altar. I remember one time, and it's a mistake that, that uh, kind of haunts me. I know the Lord forgives, but... Somebody that I really love, somebody that I really trust, and, and he leads a prayer ministry. And I remember one day he asked me, this was probably at least seven, eight years ago. He asked me, he said, hey, I'd like to uh, see if I can bring my, my prayer team or my, my, uh, my prayer ministry, the group that we have, and maybe use your church as the place that we meet. And the first thought that came into my mind was like a worldly thought of, okay, you want to rent the facility, 
what what income will that be for the church like what can you guys afford and, and what's appropriate and had a little bit of a conversation then it never came to pass and i remember weeks went on and months went on and i realized oh god Oh God, you were trying to clothe our church in prayer. You were trying to make this a place where it's not just the days we meet here, but that somebody would be here worshiping you and praising you and praying all the time, every day of the week at five o'clock in the morning. And I missed it because I was focused on cost and income. God, make me a man who focuses on you as the inviter. What are you inviting me to receive? What are your motives and what are your means, God? I don't ever want to make those mistakes again. But I'll tell you this. It'll happen and it'll continue to happen if we don't shift. So if that's you, I want to open the altars for you. I want to pray for you that, man, don't make the same mistakes that I've made and that others have made, that we could see God, what he's trying to do. Don't evaluate always just the cost or the income for you. Evaluate by what it is that God himself is trying to bring into your life. The altars are open. Lord, we love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah.